When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, Giovanna here. I'd love to tell you about a brand new podcast hosted by Kate Ferdinand, part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby family. Do check out her episode if you haven't listened. Kate's podcast, Blended, delves into topics like second marriages, life after loss, adoption, fostering and not-so-wicked stepmothers. Kicking off with a Mother's Day special that goes live on Wednesday the 23rd of March, this episode will share stories from those who have lost a mother or a child, experienced fertility issues or even stepmothers navigating their place in the day. Kate will explore why Mother's Day can be difficult for so many of us, as well as drawing on expert advice for anyone in the same situation. Search Blended with Kate Ferdinand on your podcast listening platform of choice to subscribe now. Before we start this podcast, I want to warn you that this episode contains some very difficult themes. If you prefer, please choose another episode. Welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is the co-founder and managing director of the company Musicalize. I did it so well before we started. Musicalize. <laughs> it's not Musicalize, but it is actually quite, I would say, apt for this podcast. So let's just keep it there. <laughs> um, he is also husband to Sophie and has a whole array of children ranging from seven years old to just 12 days i did give him a get out of jail free card if he didn't feel up to it today but he's still here thankfully today's guest is ben anderson aka diary of a dad hello hello what how are you intro. feeling <laughs> i'm feeling really good actually yeah I, I didn't see your message giving me the get out of jail free card but to be honest it's actually really nice i'm currently in our basement and it's the quietest that i think it's been in a very very long time in our house <laughs> <laughs> But do you have so uh, two or three of your kids at school? Three are in school at the moment. Okay. Otis is upstairs, so he's sixteen months old, and then yeah, Zaya's with uh, with Sophie, probably breastfeeding because that's all he pretty much does at the moment. I mean, that's the joy, isn't it? Feed, sleep, feed, sleep, poop. <laughs> exactly. Some pooping in there as well. <laughs> Although we are having trouble with the pooping department for the last twenty four forty eight hours, oh. um, a little bit constipated which wasn't ideal because we took him to a funeral yesterday and he was kind of grunting during the sermon. So I had to take him outside. That was a bit oh, awkward. Oh, <laughs> bless him. It's funny, isn't it? So are you now at the point where you're still Googling everything? Because I think with my yeah. third, I was still Googling everything. Yeah, I mean, we just, you sort of, 
this is what I keep saying to people that every time you have a child, something different happens. So I, I remember constipation a little bit further down the line, but at the point where you, you know, you know that you can give them medication yeah. and suddenly you've got a baby who's only 12 days old. And then you're like, can we actually give him anything or do we have to wait for the health visitor? Do we have to phone a GP? All of those sorts of things. So yeah, still very much still in the, the Googling stage. Ben, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Birmingham and... Um, you still got a slight accent. It's a slight just a accent, twinge, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a... People say that over the years, Sophie's beaten the Brummy accent out of me, but it does, <laughs> it does, it does come through occasionally. Um, so, yeah, brought up in Birmingham. Uh, Mum, dad, two younger sisters. And, yeah, fairly standard, you know, upbringing, really. Did you ever look ahead to the future and see yourself with a family? Absolutely not. Really? Um, yeah. You know, like sometimes people just say that, oh, I always wanted to be a parent and I knew I always would be. Did not see that. It just wasn't something that I ever thought about. And interestingly, even when Sophie and I first got together, so we obviously we run our, our business together, I think, as you mentioned. And for us, the business was essentially the focus for the first couple of years. Yeah. And, and then we got married and it was this whole thing of, we probably won't have kids for a few years. And I was basically thinking that over those few years, I would kind of get into the mindset of, you know, wanting to become a parent because mm -hmm. I was very focused on the business and traveling and doing all of the things that we were doing there. And we had this conversation where we got married in the August and because we weren't going to have kids, I reluctantly agreed that Sophie could get a chihuahua, which when she went to go and collect it, turned into we're actually getting two because there was an extra one that nobody else wanted. So we, she came home with two chihuahuas. So that's in the September. And then we fell pregnant with Arlo in November. No! <laughs> Please tell me about that moment of finding out. How did Sophie tell you? Or did, were you just suspecting it and then did the test together? No, so I didn't suspect, basically, Sophie revealed it to me, we went up to the Lake District for a weekend, and she told me, but I did kind of know, because I'd noticed that she was feeling quite ill, yeah. um, and I could tell in the car journey up there that she was trying not to be sick, but, so in my head I was going, is this travel sickness or is this something else? Yeah. And I, I didn't want to push her or, or quiz her about it. But she, behind the scenes, done all the tests and, you know, wanted to be certain. And then, yeah, when we got up to um, up to the Lake District, she gave me a present and, uh, yeah, it was like, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and from someone who didn't know if kids were going to be in their future or kind of thought it was years down the line, how did you feel in that moment when you when you found out you were absolutely going to be a dad? In that moment, it just made sense. Like something just clicked where I was suddenly like, I get it now. And, you know, it, it, it just it just brought in this whole other range of emotions and feelings that I I didn't even know existed because I, I wasn't preparing for them. And, you know, this wasn't, you know, a big plan to to go and start trying for a baby and all of, all of that sort of stuff. And, and I, I'm really glad it was like that because, you know, I think maybe sometimes if we'd had that, period of time where we were trying you know mm. I, I don't know maybe that would have confused the whole issue um so it was it, I, I use the term organic quite a lot it was just all of those feelings just came about really organically um yeah. and, and looking back at it I'm, I'm really glad that it, it went that way you know how did you feel going towards the birth because I think as women we kind of it's one thing and we know you know we know it's our body but for, as a man knowing that you're going to 
have to watch or be a part of that process and all of the things that are unknown and uncontrollable. How did you feel going into that? We almost it was a it was a real baptism of fire actually with with Arlo's birth because Sophie was induced. So I remember us going into the hospital on the Friday evening, I think it was, to start the process of the induction. And he wasn't born until the Monday. We had this just one of those crazy things. It was a, a really sort of looking back at it now, knowing what we know and even other doctors have sort of said he should have come out a lot earlier. Um, oh, really? You know, yeah, they, they were sort of saying, how did this, how was this allowed to sort of continue for, for so long? But fortunately, you know, it was, you know, he came, he was, he was healthy and it clearly didn't put us off having other children further down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And can you remember what it was like meeting Arlo for the first time? I was just, uh, just a complete shock. You know, I knew from the first time that I held him that, it was a different type of love that I was feeling mm. and, and just a real responsibility as well. Yeah. I think something that stood out to me that there was, there was quite a lot going on um, externally with my family at the time. And I remember in the week leading up to him being born, my nan had passed away. And so it was like all of those, you know, you just, all of these feelings just start yeah. coming out of nowhere because, you know, I would have loved her to have met him. And, mm. you know, then I was thinking obviously about attending a funeral and all of, all of these sorts of things. So there was a lot going on. And I just remember, as I say, just that feeling of love for this little bundle. He, he was so peaceful. I remember like a few little cries and then he just went silent and then he just stared at me. And yeah, it was, it was just amazing. I love the fact that you used the word shock at the start as well, because I don't think anyone's ever said that, but it just reminded me of that feeling of going through labour. And even though that's what you know, that that's what you're working towards, that suddenly there's a human in the room. There's a ba yeah. that shock of it is a shock, even though you know that that's happening. You know what that feels like, what that what that is. It's yeah. it is a shock. I've never heard that word used before, but it's totally yeah, right. It really was. And I, I remember we first broke pregnancy first childbirth we had so I was in the room and Sophie's mum was in as well yeah. and it was again that I think that was a classic example of Sophie not knowing what to expect and so feeling as though she would need her mum there yeah. and you know and so we, we kind of all experienced all of those early feelings together I mean her mum was really good in that she you know she let us just do it she was just a silent body in the corner yeah. um, silent but, partner there if you need her yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly uh, and probably massively I mean I don't even think I've I've really spoken to her that much about what must have been going through her head you know literally witnessing her daughter you know sort of yeah. going going through that Sophie subsequently has said that she would that she never wanted her mum in the room again but I think that's more to do with just the fact that she knows she can handle it yeah. but also I think you want that as a, as a pregnant woman you just want the freedom to express yourself in whatever way you feel yeah, yeah. you know and and so yeah subsequent ones we've, we've done it all by well, ourselves I, I, yeah I think it's interesting isn't it, though how you think what you think that experience is going to be like I can remember watching like one born every minute and someone taking in a bikini that she'd made to make sure she looked pretty or you know I had like a night and I you know what to wrap yourself up and then suddenly you're in the room and nothing matters I do not care <laughs> what is going on like I, I can be naked I can do whatever I'd like I'm just going to do what I have to do to get the baby out and I think if there is something that takes you out of that in some way or 
you know, I, I do think that subsequent births, you kind of strip away maybe the things that you don't don't necessarily need or, yeah. you know, and I think, I think when it comes to parents as well, it's that thing of wondering how they are coping or how they are feeling because you suddenly realise you are their child still. So, you know, there is, it's knowing that someone else is fearful for you in that exactly. room. Exactly. And I think as well, you know, we have to remember that the pregnancy and it doesn't sort of end at the point of, you know, childbirth, as in the child coming out. There is still mm -hmm. so, I mean, you know, even the something that, and I probably did hear this in the prenatal if I wasn't sleeping, about <laughs> delivering, delivering the placenta, for example, you know, like... Arlo's here and then suddenly over on the Sophie's still over on the bed and you know this stage is happening um, yeah. and and then even after that you know there's that just the recovery time that the mum needs because I think you're right we do see it on the TV programs where it's there's that dramatic entrance into the world with baby baby goes onto mum's chest mm -hmm. you know and it, it all sort of starts from there but that you know having been through this process a number of times now it's 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 not always the way no also, I love the fact that, um, you know, the baby is born. That's a miracle. You've already gone, oh, the, the body is, is amazing. And then suddenly the placenta comes out. And you're just like, what on earth? How? Like, it's a little marvel within itself. Exactly. Just the timing of everything, you know, the precision behind the way everything works. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's fascinating, really, isn't it? Mm, it really is. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. What was it like going from one to two in terms of that that juggle and still doing everything. Yeah, I mean, that was more, we knew 
after having Arlo, we knew that we wanted to have more cho- more children, at least and another child. And when you child. say more, at least another. Okay, okay. At least another. Right. Um, it wasn't this. There was never a plan to have a huge family. I don't think. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know where this this came, but I, I don't know why point... I'm doing this. <laughs> what have I done? Why does it keep, Why does it keep happening? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> we could look into that, Ben, if you want. Yeah, if you I, want should, to know I should why. Probably, I should probably do a couple of sides. Um, but no it was I remember having Arlo and then knowing yes we definitely want to have a sibling but also knowing that we didn't want to ever get out of baby mode and so you know I think Sophie fell pregnant with Myla at nine months nine or ten months after Arlo was born so there's like 17 months between them and you know we we just we did we just went from one baby to another this time with a bit more experience behind us Mm -hmm. um you know very different pregnancy I think probably a a slightly easier pregnancy and yeah it just it, it just all fell into place and then there's this cycle where when Myla turned 10 months, we fell pregnant again. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Esme was born. So, you know, literally kind of this 17 month age gap between sort of the older three. And was, was there another was... conversation after after the second to kind of go, shall we go again? Shall we keep yeah, expanding? Because yeah. we just, you know, things were, were good in terms of the, the business was in a good place at that point. We had a, a, the nice house, we had the space, you know, sort of all the things that sometimes people start to think about practically as to yeah. whether they can. We didn't really face any of those those issues. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and again, all of this, you know, I, we can only say that this works because of, you know, our setup and the way that we operate. Sophie's always said that, you know, if I'd gone back to work or, you know, if we'd had to, you know, put a child into childcare for us both to go back to work, we probably yeah. wouldn't have continued to, to, mm-hmm. to have children. And so, you know, we obviously, we just felt comfortable that we, we were in a good place to, to, to keep going. And I remember after having Esme, so we're now at three and you're just thinking, how big could this family actually get? Um, it becomes like a science experiment. Let's just see. Let's yeah, just see if we you keep know, going. you work out how many bedrooms you've got in the house, and you sort of start <laughs> thinking, well, you know, you know, we're okay, and we we obviously weren't against having any other children, and yeah, that's where it's sort. So so after Esme, we kind of so we did fall pregnant again, and that's when we fell pregnant with the twins, yeah. um, which again big shock now that's that's another big shock for us because but you what know... was that like because all of a sudden you're feeling you know you know what that you you're probably feeling a bit like I know what this is we know exactly. you know we know what one child adding one child into the mix is like so the idea of two what what did you fall off your chair in the in the scan yeah that was oh, I, I really wish I could go back and just capture I wish there was like CCTV that I could see of our faces because <laughs> we were we were in shock that you know, there were two and just trying to nap is it's weird because whilst we'd mentally geared ourselves up to have a fourth child, suddenly mm. at that point going to five, you know, three to five yeah. would have been a very, very crazy jump. And once the initial shot wore off, I think for us it was kind of realizing that that pregnancy was definitely going to be very different. Um, you know, Three children. Sophie's now got three children. Yeah. 
and, and I always say this, you know, after each subsequent child, obviously, you know, she's going to be a bit more tired mm -hmm. or there's going to be just her body's feeling different. Yeah. And so while she's amazing, like literally my hero, you know, I think physically her body had already gone through quite a lot of that. Point. And three and so, pregnancies uh, quite close together as well. Quite close together. Yeah. And so, and, and you know, you, you've now got this fourth one and it's, it's a, it's a multiple pregnancy and you read, this is again where you now you go to Google, don't you? Yeah. You start looking up all of these things and you know, you're planning ahead and, but the early stages of the pregnancy were fine. You know, we, we didn't have any, any real issues. Everything was doing what it needed to do. You know, they were growing fine. It was, it was all perfect. And then it just all kind of went a bit wrong around the 20 week mark, um, which was, yeah, looking back at it now, just one of the, well, the craziest thing that I think, you know, we, we've sort of both been through. Um, and was something flagged up at the 20 week scan? No, interestingly not. So basically we'd been abroad the week of the 20 week scan. So Sophie couldn't have the 20 week scan. So when we, when we got back, we, we'd been to Dubai and when we got back, one of the first things that she did was went and had the scan. So the day of her 20 week scan, which is probably around 21 weeks, mm. everything was completely fine. Like nothing flagged on, on that scan at all. When she left the hospital, I remember her calling me and she was saying that she was sort of like feeling that, no, that was it. She'd done the 20 week scan in the morning and then a, another follow up with our obstetrician in the afternoon. Yeah. And then she called me and she said that, you know, she was feeling like, just a, some weird feet like pain down below and had struggled to sort of walk to the train station. But she sort of said, you know, it wasn't enough of a pain for her to think, right, I need to go back to the hospital. Just something very uncomfortable. It's so that she weird thought, thing as well, I imagine as well. Like we all know that your muscles in your tummy are doing funny things. Like twinges happen throughout pregnancies. Exactly. That you're kind of a bit like, oh, what is that? And and I imagine with a multi like with a, with multiple children, it's probably you, you can kind of go, well, that must be something stretching or. And she's just had, you know, two observations yeah. and, it, you know, she's, and we've just come back off holiday. You know, is it, is it all that, is it that she's doing too much? Mm. You know, we, we didn't really know. So she manages to get home, but by the time she gets home, she's in a lot of pain at, at this point. And I remember her saying, you know, I just need to go upstairs and lie down and, you know, we somehow managed to get, I remember us getting through sort of like the bedtime routine with the older kids. And she said to me though, that these pains are really intense. I'm going to go and try and have a bath. And then once she was done that, then, then I remember her WhatsApping me and saying, I think I'm in labor. Like these pains feel like labor pains. Mm. And, and Sophie's not a dramatic character yeah. at all. You know, she's got a very, I think quite a good pain threshold. So when I saw that and, and she said that, I knew something was, wasn't quite right. Um, and I remember going upstairs and, and just seeing her on the bed and she was like, Ben, I really hope that I'm not in labor, but this, this does feel like it. So, you know, we, we did the whole thing of calling an ambulance out. We, we literally phoned a, a friend from the school at the time mm. um, who lived close and we just said, we've got to go to hospital. Do you mind just coming to the house? Just the other kids were sleeping. Yeah. And she came around and, and just sat in, in the house with, with the kids and we go off to hospital. And I could tell when the doctors came in and were examining her on the bed, obviously sort of paramedics aren't trained yeah. to do anything too much, but I could just see the looks on their faces. And I went downstairs and I just broke down. Our friend, I remember our friend arriving 
and I went down to let her in and I just I just broke down because I I knew something wasn't right and I just remember saying I hope they don't come like we we just we it's too early we're not ready for them to come and yeah we go to hospital and you know they do the examinations and they they say that it turns out that one of the twins our son it turns out the the sac had started to rupture and so she was losing water but it hadn't like completely gone and so where we're just we're in hospital now and all sorts is racing through your mind you know one doctor basically told Sophie that you know these are labor pains and you are probably going to go into labor tonight you are going to deliver and at 21 plus whatever it was there's nothing we can do you know they, they were very clinical yeah and about that because you know 24 weeks is the viability or mm-hmm. it certainly was at, at that point and so you know th- they didn't want to raise you know get our hopes up or or anything like that and so hearing that was so strange because every other time that we've been in the you know a, a childbirth situation there's there's lots of love there's yeah. lots of care and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that they, they were being mean to us it was just a very different type of conversation mm-hmm. because what they were saying to us is that the priority at that point was now Sophie right. because they were saying that there could be complications where if she does go into labor you know she could develop sepsis or you know there might be an infection that's they were saying it was an infection that they felt might be causing this early onset of labor right. and so yeah we, we prepared to, to give birth that night and at midnight all the contractions just stopped and you know we were like what what is going on and the doctors were confused we were confused you run back to google again you start looking at you know i remember looking up someone someone had said to me or i'd read somewhere that the waters can replenish on these like odd occasions right and so literally that now becomes my hope i'm sort of like okay so our son's waters you know uh, have started to come down but I remember putting on Instagram because this was the other thing. Obviously, we had been very vocal. My, my Diary of a Dad page had started after Esme was born. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you know, there's already a bit of a community forming and everyone's aware. And, you know, we kept it secret that we were having twins for so long anyway. But now it's out there in the world. And, you know, I wanted to be honest about what was going on, because if we'd gone completely off the radar and then just announced it, I think it would have been really, really crazy. So I remember putting a post up and just saying that this is the situation that we're in at the moment I was like my son's the son's waters have have ruptured but I believe that they're going to replenish you know we've got all this hope you know our daughter seems like she's she's fine we're going to get through this and Sophie was in hospital for eight days with no activity you know we were having scans every every day basically heartbeats were still there the water levels of us are never, they didn't replenish. They were significantly reducing and they were very honest with us. You know, at some point you're going to go into labor, but now we're holding on to this 24 week hope yeah. because you're sort of like, if we we're, can we're get, there. get there, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can get there. And even that's crazy because, you know, had we managed to get to 24 weeks, it would have been, that wouldn't have, that would have just been the start of yeah. something. We, we've just, with, uh, with Zaya's birth, he spent a few days in, in the ICU and we've, we've been in the room now with a 24 week old baby yeah. and you look at them and you just know that that baby is going to have a long road mm-hmm. ahead of them. But that's what we were pinning our hopes on. And, you know, we thought we might get there. We just, 
I don't know, you read those stories about those miracles and I just kept thinking, Cling we're going to be don't that. You? Mi- you have to. Yeah. I think I imagine that's how you pull through those moments as well, is by clinging on to whatever hope is available to you. Yeah, and, and the doctors, I remember, and the midwives, they kept saying to Sophie, how are you feeling? That, that They basically thought that she was hiding how she was feeling because they were convinced that there was this infection in her that was going to turn at any point. And they thought that she was basically not telling them that because she didn't want them to know that she like, maybe was feeling any labour pains or anything like that. But Sophie was genuinely as okay as you can be in that scenario. And then, as I say, yeah, eight days later... I remember labor starting again. And at that point we knew that there was nothing, you know, the doctors were like, there's nothing we can do to stop this happening now. We've just got to let it all happen. And that for me will be, yeah, I, I can't imagine I'm going to go through many crazier things in my life than witnessing that and having to deal with the aftermath of, you know, them being born now at, you know, so they were born at 22 plus something. Technically, our son came out stillborn, yeah. whereas our daughter was was alive and breathing when she came out. And yeah, it was just just a really, really horrible situation because I remember Sophie, obviously she was on pain relief. And I remember when Cairo came out first, I remember looking at her and saying, do you, do you know what's happened? And she was like, no, what's, and I was like, like, he's here, Yeah. you know, it, it's happened. And then she very much felt, you know, when, when, when I think her, her senses were just so heightened at that point. So at the point when, when Chloe was, was born, you know, and, and it was crazy because I, again, all of the attention medically now is on Sophie, yep. got to make sure that she's okay. She did go into septic shock right. as they, they'd warned us. You've got very premature baby over here. My wife, who I think is going to die over here. And I'm literally torn, you know. I, I know that Chloe isn't going to survive this long term, but she's, she's a baby. And, yeah. you know, I want to kind of give it... It's just a range of emotions. I mean, this is probably like the first time that I'm actually sort of talking really about... Well, and I know, know that any post that you have said about it, you, you have, you've said a certain amount, but also said that you don't want to be known for this because, you know, it's not something that you are... I think you even might have used the phrase poster boy for it, you know. You don't, yeah. you know, and, and so... And I guess that that is what this space is. You know, it is for yeah. those honest conversations that are difficult. And however much you want to share, I would never push for for more. You know, um, no. This, I mean, this feels really natural, sort of talking about it because I think it's. I think it's really important. It's a really important conversation to have. I don't think the conversation happens enough. I think we're getting better. Yeah. And I, you know, once you go through something like this, Instagram is. Oh, I have. I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram, don't we all? But I saw the very best of social media and Instagram when we went through this. The amount of messages that we were inundated with of A, people that were just rooting for us anyway when they knew what was going on, right the way through to people who had been through something similar. There There were ladies in hospital going through the same thing at the same time and as far as they were concerned, they were the only woman in the world that was going through it. And then they go on Instagram and then there's this family that are going through it at the same time. It was, it was phenomenal. And 
I, I just saw a very different side of social media. I think we were, the reason I, I mentioned about not wanting to really sort of like be defined by this experience was because we still had three mm. healthy, happy children that we were going back to. And my heart, whilst we're, even while we're going through the, the worst period and all of this grief and this pain, my heart was going out to the parents that were going through something like that on their first pregnancy. Yeah. Because I was thinking, how do you recover from that? You know, just that conversation of, should we, are we going to try again? Mm. You know, and, and now knowing the fear that comes with subsequent pregnancies mm. after a loss, it, it was so weird because, and, and I think I did do a bit of this where rather than, reflecting too much on how I was feeling. I, I, I wanted to be almost like a sounding board for other people. Yeah. It was a very public, and, and that was by choice. You know, we, we chose to tell the world what was going on because it, it felt like the right thing to do. But, you know, I, I, I did want to be that sounding board for anyone else that was going through it. The amount of dads that, you know, my, my Instagram following is, I think it's 92% female. Right. And so, I was not used to getting messages from, from other dads. And suddenly there were messages from dads being like, oh, we went through this, mm. or I think my wife's going through something similar. And, you know, just being there as a, as a support. And I'm always really careful as to what to say, because, you know, what is the right thing to say? What we went through and how we felt may not be the right thing. Well, it was right for us, but it might not be right for somebody else. And it's, it's such a, a sensitive topic that I feel like I have something to say on it, but I certainly don't want to be deemed as like an expert. Yeah, on, you but know, I think all in, in all these things, you are, you know, your experience, and that's where you always have to talk from. And and I think I'm so grateful that these conversations are happening because I think there's so much around baby loss that is unknown because it's it's, it's uncomfortable in the sense that we hope that no one has to go through it. But not talking about it doesn't stop people having to go through it, you know. And I and I think, you know, it's a shock when people find out that even in that loss where you know that's there, there is a woman who is going to have to give birth to that child, knowing the 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 trauma and the loss that you know is is it's going through that birth experience and and not getting what you've been promised at the start of it, you know, that heartache exactly. that happens. And yeah, so I think I think the more we talk about it in many ways, the, the better, because it opens up that conversation, whether that's someone who's also going through it or someone who knows someone who's going through it and just gets a little sense of what they're going through and, and just knowing that sending them a heart emoji just to let them know that you're not not wanting anything, not wanting to know how, not asking questions, yeah. just letting someone know that they're being thought of. You know, I think I think it is so important these conversations happen, and I'm I'm, I'm sure there are so many people that are grateful that you that you did share. Well, I still get messages today from people who say that you know my friend's going gone through this. You know, I'll get someone that will message me like my my friend lost their baby last night. Mm -hmm. What do I say to them? You know, what advice? You know, I, I don't want to overburden them. I don't want to, you know, at the same time, I don't want to not talk to them because. Yeah. I don't want them to feel alone and you know how much should I be saying and obviously as I say every situation is different and everyone's got to figure out you know how much support they want at that time or if they do just want to be be left alone and yeah it's it's just it's horrible and you know that the biggest eye-opener for me in terms of how often this is happening rather than it, uh, in addition to I should say 
having those constant flow of messages of people that are experiencing it is whenever we go to the cemetery where the, the twins are buried I remember the plot where they were where they were buried and it was sort of like a new part of the cemetery that they just over it's like a, it's called the butterfly garden and we were one of the first in that particular year or that particular summer I think to be in in this this plot and when we go back now the the whole I think they're gonna have to go to another plot and do another bit there are that many more that it's happened to and Mm -hmm. you know you can see on the headstones just the the ages of of these children and and a lot are you know sort of pre-birth or pre sort of like full-time birth and it's 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 going on every day you know it is happening every day and it it breaks my heart when I go on Instagram and I see that someone else has, has gone through it and you know you just hope that they can get the comfort and the support that they need because the support is available and it's out there how much of that you take I guess is just down to the individual really Mm. with uh, Sophie going into shock her body going into into shock were you able to take have some time with with the twins so it didn't happen straight away Mm. Um, I remember it and also I remember how Sophie was feeling at that point it was very overwhelming for her you know without being too crass you know a dead body being handed to you Mm. in in the case of our son you know just didn't feel like the right thing for her in that moment and so it was it was shortly afterwards that we were kind of given that that time and you know the the thing I can't fault with the the medical team was the sort of bereavement help that we got afterwards and you know that you have basically you get taken to a very separate room and you know it's like the bereavement ward and and that's the time where you're in there alone together and you have the opportunity to have them brought in when whenever you you wish and that continues you know we were able to go back to the hospital multiple times because of how quickly this all happened we actually just went to our local hospital, right. uh, our local NHS hospital to, to, for, that, for that delivery because our, our private doctor just said, look, there's nothing different that I can do that they won't be able to do locally. So we had that sort of local in the, in the community team that were mm. around us. And it did make things easier, actually, because that hospital, you know, five minutes down the road, yeah. we were able to take multiple trips back and forth. And, we, you know, we were assigned a, a bereavement midwife who was amazing and, you know, helped us through the whole process. But then it's just even, you know, you come in, you come into the practicalities of arranging a funeral and, you know, how do you do that? Who do you call for those sorts of things? And, you know, we want to be self-sufficient in that regard, but, you know, it, I don't know that, as I say, that the medical and the bereavement support was there but we did want to take a lot of ownership for that ourselves. So you still then have to figure out those things. But again, we had the most amazing experience there. I don't know if this is the case right across the board, but the, the funeral directors that we use, they don't charge for child burials. And, you know, there's obviously sort of like additions and things that you, you can add on if you, if you wish. But that was just a nice thing to know that yeah. that wasn't an additional thing that we had to necessarily worry about. But I say this all the time, no parent should, should have to bury their kids. And unfortunately we've had to do it with, with two. And, you know, that was just such a a horrible experience really. And one that our decision was to do that privately. Yeah. 
literally Sophie, I and a close friend were the only ones there for that. And I know that that was, I've never spoken to family and friends about it. Everyone respected our decision. And I do, you know, again, part of me was thinking, should I open this, you know, should this be an open invitation for everyone? Because, you know, people have lost grandchildren mm. and, you know, niece, nephew and cousins and, and all of all of this side of things. But for once, that was our time to be really selfish, if that's the, you know, even the right word for it, but selfish as put in- Put yourselves first. We had to do, yeah. yeah, we had to put ourselves first. And I know that Sophie, I remember from conversations with Sophie, she wanted to be able to express her grief on that day in a way that she knows she wouldn't have done if we'd had everybody there. Yeah. And that was the kind of the, the deciding factor for us mm. um, around, you know, the, the doing it privately. But, you know, I, I think it could, it could have looked like a very different funeral. That just, just knowing the amount, forget friends and family, just the, the family that we'd kind of built on Instagram, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Would, have, would, have, would have turned out in their droves <laughs> for, for us because they were just all, you know, everyone was wanting to bend over backwards to do anything that they possibly could to get us through. But... It was. It definitely at the time felt like you know the right decision just to to have that, and it's a time that Sophie and I will obviously we 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 wish we'd never gone through it, but we will treasure that you know yeah. that that private moment that we we were able to have. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, firstly, I, I imagine the twins. They're they're a unit who must always be a part of your life, and you know I'm sure you we speak to parents that talk about baby loss and, and when you're asked how many children you have, that's a difficult question because then do you open up that conversation? Do you just say five, you know, I've got five or, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a really interesting one. Um, interestingly, I'm recording a podcast at the moment where I'm, I'm having sort of like some conversations with, with dads and one of the guests that I've spoken to, he mentioned to me, he he refers to himself as a father of five and he is including a, right. a lost child in yeah. that. I refer to myself as a dad of five now because I think it's easier. Mm -hmm. Yes, technically it's seven, but I'm not always ready to have that conversation. And with that is the thing, isn't it? Because if you say that, you then have to open up that conversation and, and that's what makes it such a personal thing and and, yeah. and something that you have to take ownership of you know it's your decision on what you say you know what i i and this has only happened last week i added chloe and cairo back into my instagram mm -hmm. bio mm -hmm. and i think that's you know that's that's zaya being here and, and arriving it was you know it and this is the thing you know we have experienced so we've now had two subsequent successful pregnancies after that well what was it like so, when when sophie got pregnant with with otis and, and was otis, that a conversation yeah. of yeah how do you know when you are ready to make that step i don't think you do know that you're ready i, I remember sophie saying we, we obviously spoke about it would we ever go on to have more children mm. the the answer was yes and sophie always said that she knew that we had a lot more love to give. That was her, that was the best way. I thought it was such a nice description of it. it was a, we had more love to give. The love would, was always gonna be there for the twins, but we knew that we had that capacity. Mm -hmm. And so falling pregnant with Otis was, you know, 
again it wasn't it wasn't a difficult thing it wasn't you know we didn't try and try and try it was so again i'm glad that we didn't have that level of stress but when you know he came along or, or that that pregnancy i remember personally struggling to connect yeah and the reason for that was i didn't want to get my hopes up mm-hmm. that's you know i don't want to get my hopes up for come 16 weeks or 20 weeks someone to tell because suddenly now we, you know you've had three successful back-to-back pregnancies and whilst I know that other people had losses you know we'd never experienced it ourselves and so now we've gone through it I'm thinking well there's nothing's guaranteed and I still say this to this day nothing is guaranteed until you've got a mum walking out of the hospital with the baby in her arms yeah. so many crazy stories that you hear happening so if I'm honest, it became a thing of just getting through the weeks, you know, getting, we've always done early scans, you know, doing that, doing a harmony test, you know, are there any abnormalities Mm -hmm. that we need to find out? We know we're having a boy from sort of like 11, 12 weeks or whatever it was, 12 week scan. We've got through that 16 week, 20 week. Now we need to get to 24 weeks because 24 weeks is the viability period. Mm -hmm it'll be okay if he comes after 24. Oh, actually, no, it won't be because there's still a lot that hasn't developed at that point. 30 weeks, 36, you know, all of these things. And, and, you know, Sophie was heavily scanned. She had, it. we were very unsure for a long time as to what had contributed to the, 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 the loss of the twins. It turns out it was an incompetent cervix um it wasn't this infection that that they had because what they remember doing was looking back at the the blood work from when she first came in and there was no infection present when she first came in but it did develop while she was in hospital right so and again we'd had all these theories around what what had caused it was it because she'd gone in the some dirty water when we were on holiday and you know it so it was it was good to get that peace of mind that it wasn't that it was highly likely that it was this incompetent cervix so she'd had a cervical stitch put in for otis which again just another layer another procedure another thing another procedure you know is it completely safe you know yes we're having it done by one of the best doctors in the country but every procedure has its risks you know Sophie constantly worrying about whether this stitch is doing what it's supposed to be doing and you know having those regular scans to check so I didn't connect with that pregnancy as as much as I would have liked if if I'm being completely honest and I know that must have been probably hard for Sophie to deal with at, at times you know I, I've, I've always been that very active you know talking to the belly and you know using the name and all of those sorts of things and I, I did struggle a lot with Otis and there, I can't remember what the turning point was but there was a point where I was like right okay he's, he's coming I've, I've got to be prepared for this and, and obviously I mean you follow me on Instagram you know the connection that I have with that boy it's <laughs> it's like we are we are joined at the hip almost now um so that you know that that is obviously just a an amazing relationship that we have and what was it like going into that birth though I remember feeling in good hands yep you know obviously we're now so after Arlo's not so perfect birth in the early days yeah. we made the we made the decision to go private for subsequent pregnancies and so we're now in the same care of the the obstetrician and the medical team that have delivered Myla and Esme yeah. we're back in the you know the same room the same team again with with Otis and just feeling very comfortable about it 
But as with kids, it was a bit of a curveball. You know, he, he didn't come out the, the, the plain sailing way. You know, what should have been a natural pregnancy ended up with an, an emergency C-section. I remember he got stuck in the birth canal and it was, it was something to do with his hand being in the way. His like, hand was on top of his head and it was just <laughs> it was affecting everything. And I remember looking at the doctor's face and thinking he normally looks like really poor, you know, we're normally joking between us and he was very quiet, you know, very concentrated. And I'm thinking is something going wrong. And, you know, Sophie had been trying to push for a long time. And he just wasn't, he wasn't moving. And I remember him saying that he was going to try forceps and the first attempt of forceps, Otis put his arm through the forceps. And so I remember the doctor saying, I've trying to pull them out, but I can't. His arm is stuck in the forceps. Then he then it came out and he was like, I'm gonna try again. And Otis did exactly the same thing again. <sighs> um he's got a little scar on his on his no. arm um, from where the where the forceps um sort of just, <laughs> just pinched him. But yeah. our doctor said to us, I may have to leave the forceps in and take you down for a C-section. Oh my goodness. If this boy doesn't move his, his arm out, fortunately yeah. he did. But even then going down to theater, you know, I'm, I'm obviously now robed up and we're going down to theater and it was just, that was really scary because for me, you associate theater with, you know, I have real negative connotations yeah. around it, even though I've never been in that situation before. And I just remember, a sea of midwives, doctors, All medical of a sudden there are just a lot of people around you. The sheet goes up. Mm. You know, I always like to be at the bottom end. I've been at the bottom end for every birth <laughs> uh, at this stage. And now I'm this side of the sheet, just holding Sophie's hand. She's medicated, you know, can barely move. We're just looking at each other. It goes quiet at certain times. Obviously, there's this whole medical procedure. I said to Sophie, do you mind? Can I go and have a look at what's yeah. going over the other side? And then the... the um, I think it was our anaesthetist sort of said, just just be here for Sophie, like just worry about this at the, at the moment. And then, yeah, so then, you know, obviously we now know that we're having this C-section and it was the craziest thing, not knowing what was going on the other side of the sheet, suddenly knowing that there was a baby, the anaesthetist, she was incredible, this lovely lady called Lindsay. I remember her saying to me, do you want to get a picture of this? I'll let you know when he's he's coming. I was on there with my phone and she, she's like, now nah, he's, he's coming. And I, I managed to, I, I literally just start snapping away, hitting and hoping, not knowing what's coming. And it's on my Instagram. You know, I had now have what is probably one of the most amazing, people tell me this was one of the most amazing sort of C-section pictures. <laughs> literally the moment that he comes out, you've got Sophie's face, his face, Aww. they're matching, they're pouting. It's just the relief in that moment was sensational i imagine that relief is on so many different levels as well you know knowing what had come before then having a a a pregnant a a birth that has gone through many dips along the way it must it must the relief must just be huge yeah huge relief and you're suddenly like right we're here now you know four children that we've we've got at home and you know they're all fit and they're all healthy and you just start to, I suppose at that point, we did think, should we stop now? Right. Because 
we've been we've been massively fortunate yeah. you know we, we we can't complain with with our lot in life and in my head I just remember thinking that I'd planned to be we we had plans of having five children that that's what it would have been with the twins so there wasn't but it wasn't this oh we've got to get to five children now it wasn't it wasn't like that but like Sophie, I, that that thing that she just kept saying about having that love to give, mm. like I know that we've got that love to, give. and even though we've had Zaya now, I, I still genuinely believe that we've got even more love to give. But practically <laughs> speaking, <laughs> let me just put this out there now. I, I'm, I, I am pretty certain that we are done. Really? <laughs> um, you just, you just, I don't know. You you reach a practical point and. You know, Zaya's pregnancy for us was one that didn't go without complication. Right. You know, it was, you know, there, there were there were things along the way. One of the things that, that happened quite early on, I remember, was when they were measuring his femur bone, they it always seemed to be quite far behind compared to the others. Yeah. So what do you do? You go to Google, you know, what should the femur length be at? 12 16 or whatever and you find forums and you when you look at it there are you know it's connected with certain abnormalities within pregnancies and you know one of the facts one of the markers was, was down syndrome that that came and you know then you start thinking right okay like and this is just i suppose how my mind works and i know sophie's as well you know we would talk about this just being like okay if that's the situation, this is now going to be a very different type of pregnancy. And, you know, this is something that we're going to have to deal with. On the one hand, we've had this harmony test done at, you know, sort of 10, 11 weeks, which mm -hmm. has come back and shown that there are no abnormalities and nothing to be worried about. But Google's telling you this and other pregnant women are saying that this is a thing. And it wasn't just one or two scans. It was every scan we were going to. This femur bone was, was, was significantly shorter. And, I must admit, it wasn't until, even in the final stages of pregnancy, so Sophie, so Sophie had, and this was just purely for her reassurance, yeah. a scan a few days before Zaya was born. Right. Because we wanted to know, had this femur thing changed, you know, and suddenly it was, it was definitely nowhere near where it, it should have been on, on the chart, but it had, it had, it had grown. There was yeah. definite growth. And I must admit, when, when Zaya was born, like that's what we're focusing on. We, you know, we're, we're looking and just being like, and we're like, this kid's just got normal legs. He's, <laughs> he's, he's like, he's obviously tiny at the moment because you know he's he's come very a little bit ahead of schedule, but his legs look fine and you know and he looks fine and he's. You know, but then, when he was born, he, they put him on the the little table where they you know sort of just Sophie held him at first. You know, they're wiping him down. But it became quite obvious that he hadn't really let out that big cry that they wanted. Yeah. You know, he was whimpering, but there was not the big cry and the, you know, the intake the lungs, of breath. Yeah. The lungs just working and showing that they're working. And I think, I mean, there, there was a little bit of a delay because we didn't have all the neonatal stuff in the room at the time. Someone had to go and get them. Right. And so then they wheel in and I just, the, the doctor's saying, what time was he born? Oh, he's now sort of like eight minutes um, post-birth and he's like we you know we, we would hope to be hearing a lot more and then they get out of this oxygen and it's it's tiny it's like this you know we're talking about a 36 week baby and they put it on start giving him oxygen 
and it's at 100% oxygen and I'm watching his chest just like up and down. He's really working really hard. And I'm saying to them, like, what are you expecting to see here? And they're saying, well, you know, at, at, at 10, 15, 20 minutes post-birth, we would expect normally that he would be a lot more in control of the breathing, mm-hmm. shouldn't be on 100% oxygen, probably should be on 30. So they turn it down, seeing if anything's happening, the stats aren't going up. Sophie's had, a, at this point, had a really bad reaction to the the medication that she was on through pregnancy. So she is pretty much out of it. Right she's throwing up she's she's sick and i'm saying i think they're saying that they're going to have to take him down uh, to the to the neonatal unit again we've never had this we've never been separated from our baby mm-hmm. at, at the point of birth we've always been able to enjoy that time together and they say to me oh you can come so i said sophie do you mind if i i go i just, I, just, I need to know what what's happening with him and so we go down and yeah for The first day they were really struggling to get his breathing back under control. You know, he was, he was strapped to to oxygen. He was having it. And that was scary because you're suddenly thinking, I'm, I'm now thinking, is this something that all premature babies go through? Is this just a formality or, you know, is something more serious going on here? Fortunately for Zaya, he, he did stabilize, you know, fairly quickly then there was the fact that he had jaundice and he was strapped to like a blue lamp and you know <laughs> one of the mats that he's on and and it's and just even the fact that so we, we again we've gone private and so we're in the ward upstairs but he's downstairs in the mm. neonatal and that's how we visit our child covid has happened now and you know it's one parent at a time oh, it's just this is why when I think about it and I say, maybe we're done because we've, we've gone through a lot, you know, Sophie's gone through a hell of a lot physically. We've gone through a lot mentally. Mm -hmm. We've now got five healthy children who, you know, seem to be doing well and thriving. You know, we, we definitely feel incredibly blessed and maybe this is the time to just say, we, you know, we've, we've got our family. If uh, you could write a letter on parenthood, on being a dad, who would it be to and what would you say? I thought about this a lot and I think it would go to parents or dads that are going through the loss of a child. And that's really that's really interesting because as I said, don't really want to be defined by the, the experience that we had but I do believe that there's something to be said and that I have a lot to say in that space. And the thing that I would probably stress to the, the fathers that are going through that is to communicate. Yeah. And they, can be, they will be very difficult conversations to have with your partner, with your friends, with your family, but have them anyway. There was a period of time I didn't really do that with Sophie Mm -hmm. because we're both those types of people that, you know, this isn't something that we sort of sit down and and have lengthy conversations about how we're feeling and and stuff like that. We just, we just get on with things. We've always done that. So there's been an element of suppression, but I also know that there was a period of time where because Instagram was so busy and because there were all these messages, I, that, that virtual world became my focus, if that makes sense. And so I, any dad that I know that goes through this, I say the same thing, communicate, 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 you know, talk about how you're feeling. It sounds cliche to say, you know, that, that you will get through, but you do whatever that looks like, you know, 
do I think of my twins regularly? Yes. I've got their memory boxes in the top of my wardrobe. So I literally open the wardrobe and look at them every single day. I, I can't miss them. We've just gone through another childbirth. So it's, it's at the forefront of, you know, they're always yeah. going to be at the forefront of my mind, but I've, I'm dealing with that. The, the grief isn't overwhelming like it was at the beginning. I, I think very fondly of them and, you know, the time that we had together was, was very precious and stuff like that. So that's what I mean when I say that, you know, they, they will get through this and just to be open, as I say, you know, friends, family, your partner, just, just keep those conversations going and whatever decisions you make off the back of it, do it together. Mm. You know, I, I can see how something like this can tear a family apart. Really? I, I genuinely can. Yeah. You know, because if you're not communicating, how will you ever know how the other person is feeling? You know, and if, you know, put yourself in the position of a partner who's not feeling loved or appreciated or, or whatever, because you've gone through something like this. I was, I was talking to a friend about this and we were saying that's where you can see that just other influences would come in. Yeah. You know, if you're not getting that attention from your partner, where would you go? Would you, would you go looking for it elsewhere? You know, would that either intentionally or unintentionally, mm. it, it's, it's, it's a reality. And that's, it's, it's just why I can't stress it enough to, to dads, because I think it took a while for me to get there. Yeah. But when I did, it was, it was the best thing ever. And, you know, obviously we were having those conversations and we were communicating because a lot of our thinking was around, would we ever go on to have, have subsequent children, which I'm, I'm, incredibly glad that we did mm. thank you uh, we're going to finish with you finishing off three sentences okay okay being a dad means the world to me mm -hmm. it really does that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. uh, since having children i have found myself i was a very I was all over the place just prior to Arlo being born, striving to be successful in the music industry, dealing with some other family stuff that was going on externally at the time. Quite a selfish person in some respects. When Arlo arrived, like I said at the outset, everything just clicked and started to make sense. And I'm happy when... All the kids are around us, preferably somewhere hot, and we're just laughing and joking. That is for me, you know, as we love travel. I feel like my children are very different individuals when we're traveling and mm -hmm. we're just in that, you know, in the sun with that freedom for them to do whatever they want to do and just be kids, mm. just looking at them all. And, and looking at Sophie and, and how we feel because of that, for me, that's that's my happy place. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking time to chat to you. Thank you. No. It's 12 Thank days you for in. Me. 12 days in. <laughs> I am in awe. No, we are we are loving it. He is he settled in. Dealing with a little bit of sleep regression from Otis, but you know what? We now know that nothing lasts forever. So exactly. I'm just, I'm savoring these, these newborn moments. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to 
give him the biggest cuddle ever. And <laughs> then start looking at the clock and going, right, we've got to go and start picking up the other kids from school later. <laughs> and we've there got we go. after school clubs and swimming and all. Oh, you get on top of, all, just... top of all your organisation. That's what you've got to do. It's all fine. Exactly. Well, thank exactly. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Mum, Happy Baby is produced by Pixie Productions Limited and is part of the Acast Creator Network. How have you been feeling recently? Flipping shattered? Yes, me too. But I know there are sunny days ahead. The Happy Mum, Happy Baby clothing range is full of real quotes that show the true meaning of parenting. In sizes for adults and mini-me's too, how cute. <laughs> I hope you love them as much as I do. They're ready for you to shop now on the Happy Mum, Happy Baby website. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 